Why don't we pray after that? Lord, um, we do just recognize you as our great God, and it is a joy to uh, be led so well in uh, worship of you, to reflect on who you are and your worthiness to be worshipped. Uh, you are a God who is worthy to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and give our whole lives to following you. And so now as we turn to your word again, would you help us to have minds that understand, hearts that affirm and love your truth, and um, bodies that will then be preoccupied with applying it to our lives. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you go ahead and stand, I figure after uh, dinner, I'll just teach with you standing. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Go ahead and have a seat. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Although that would probably be a good idea, honestly. Uh, (laughs) If you go ahead and jog in place, that would be great. Open your Bibles. (laughs) Uh, uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Such a a great passage of Scripture. There in verse 10. So we are we're inundated with information these days. Um, there is no shortage of podcasts that you could fill your phone with. You could you could get the Apple um, what's the uh, i iCloud storage. You could get the two terabyte if you like, um, and you could fill that up in a in a minute with podcasts, with information, with books. Um, with sermons, uh, with audio downloads, all telling you how to follow God, all telling you what's best for your life, uh, all trying to tell you how best to live this life. And so the question that we're going to ask tonight, how do we sift through all that? Um, How can we hear and then understand what is true and what is false? How do we tell the difference between truth and error? And what we'll come to see and and I pray be be equipped to do is um, follow the example of our brothers in Berea thousands of years ago. So go ahead and look in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. And this is Paul and Silas, they're uh, going around on a missionary journey, and they come to the, the town of Berea, and Luke records here in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. 
and with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, what we need to understand in terms of the context, what's going on in Berea, these people are receiving a brand new teaching from Paul and Silas. They're uh, going as Paul's uh, custom was into the Jewish synagogue. And notice what verse 11 says. It says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And then Luke is going to describe what it is that um, characterized their nobility. What was it? What What were their noble actions? And you can see it right there in verse 11. They, one, received the word. It was a noble reception of the word. They were, they were open. They put themselves in the context of having the word taught to them. And so, Paul goes there and they say, great, we want to hear the word taught. And notice what it says. They received the word with all eagerness. They were there. It wasn't... After dinner, I'm sure, the, Paul wasn't staring into the crowd and getting the, um, uh, the tired head nod. There's the, there's the head nod, right? When you're understanding a truth and you agree with the truth. Yeah. And then there's the head nod of you're, you're hearing vaguely a truth, but your eyes are having trouble. And there's that... <laughs> Had not. I think it was the first. They were eager to hear the word. They were eager to um, understand and receive what Paul was was talking about. Now, here is the core of their nobility and what will drive the rest of our talk tonight. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we come to the scriptures and we, we flip through half of our New Testament and one of the first words that we read is Paul, called by the will of God to Corinth, Paul to Corinth, Paul to Ephesus, Paul to Colossians. <laughs> and we're like, fantastic, this is the word of God, we're going to sit under this and we're just going to accept it for what it is. These Bereans hear Paul and they're saying, this is great stuff, but let's just see if you're being biblical, Paul. They're assessing the Apostle Paul in his teaching. They're taking what he said, and at that time, um, the scriptures that they had would have been the Old Testament, right? And so what we understand from that is that you can find the gospel and you ought to find the gospel in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the anticipation 
of the gospel. And so Paul is going to the Old Testament and saying, look, we ought to have expected these. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Isaiah 53? I'll go ahead and um, teach you what we should have expected the Messiah to look like. That's Jesus Christ. And these Bereans are taking all that they had received and heard from Paul and saying, all right, now we have to really determine whether this is biblical or not. And Luke is saying that made them more noble than the Thessalonians. So, when it comes to understanding truth from error in a world inundated with information, we have to have the conviction, we have to have the ability to, as the Bereans did, filter all that we're taking in through the truth of the Scriptures. And so, what we're going to do tonight is look at six essentials for confident Bible study. Six essentials for confident Bible study so that we can be equipped and and encouraged to take the Scriptures and examine what we hear and come to a determination, yes, this is biblical. What I don't think we get here with, um, with the brothers in Berea are... People who are uninformed, people who are incapable of handling handling the scriptures uh, well, going and saying, "Oh well, I mean, let's see." Okay, yep, seems biblical to me. It's a it's a thorough study. It's a receiving of Paul's words, Paul's teaching, and then knowing their Bible well. So that they could come to a conclusion, in a convinced conclusion, with conviction that yes, this is biblical and we're going to follow this with all of our lives. And so we're going to look at six essentials for confident Bible study. And then the first one is the right tools. If you're going to be confident in your Bible study, you need to have the right tools. Turn it to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 316. And you all are familiar with this. I know all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If we're going to be confident in our Bible study, we need to have the right tools. Now, this is true of of any profession. If you were to take a microbiologist and he were to look through the lens of a telescope at bacteria, what do you think he would conclude? And I did mean to say telescope. No, I meant to say telescope. Would he, be, would he see any microbiology? Would he see any, any bacteria? Would he see anything like that? And what do you think he might conclude? There's no such thing as bacteria. Now, if you take an astrologist and he looks through the lens of a microscope at the stars, what might he conclude? There's no such thing as stars. Of course there's no such thing as stars. And of course they'd be wrong, and they would be wrong because they're using the wrong what? 
the wrong tools. You don't look at stars with a microscope. You don't look at bacteria with a telescope. And the same thing happens in, in our lives. When we come to the scriptures with hearts that are skeptical, doubtful, and we're questioning and we're saying, um, I'm going to be the authority over the scripture. I'm going to determine whether the scripture is true or false. We're coming to it with the wrong heart tools. The right heart tools are faith, repentance, and humility. Faith, repentance, and humility. That's exactly what we see here in 2 Timothy. Because what does he say? All scripture is breathed out by God. And what is it profitable for? Teaching. Teaching about what? Well, teaching about God's redemptive plan, primarily. The way that you escape the punishment from your sin and live a life of um, eternal life with, with God. Reproof. Which means, okay, we're going to make some um, uh, adjustments and you need to be uh, living in this way when you once were living in this way. Correction. Here is one specific area that needs to be changed. Training in righteousness. Here's what it looks like to live righteously. What Paul is, is telling us here is faith, repentance, and humility are essential tools for Bible study. So, what does faith look like when you're coming to the Scriptures? Faith looks like, okay, this is the authoritative Word of God. I'm going to study it as such. When it speaks, it speaks authoritatively. When it speaks, it tells me what is true and right and good. And I'm coming to it looking for that. Humility says, I'm placing myself under the authority of the Scripture. The Scripture has the authority to correct my life. This, the, the Scripture has the authority to tell me where I'm wrong and where I'm right. And so humility says, when the Scripture says one thing and my life is saying a different thing and those two things are coming head on at one another, the Scripture is what, is what uh, prevails. That's humility. And repentance says when that happens, I'm changing my mind about how I think of the world and I'm living in line with what the Scripture says. Those are the right tools for Bible study. Now we're not talking yet about commentaries, um, reference guides, cross-references. The right tools start in the heart for confident Bible study. If you want to get at the Word, then you need to have faith that the Scripture says or is true in what it says about itself. Humility to say, I'm placing myself under its authority. And repentance to say, when my life um, contradicts what the Scripture says, my life is going to change. I'm not going to twist the Scripture to make it accord with my life. So, the first essential is right tools. Uh, secondly, a right method. A right method. Um... You don't have to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 28, we get this excellent example of what we're going to be talking about. It's a list of, um, okay, Israel, if you live in obedience to me, here are a whole, a whole list of blessings. And that list of blessings goes on for like 15 verses, all right? And he says, now, if by chance... You choose not to live in obedience to me. Here's 
a list of curses. And that list goes on for like 58 verses. And what we're trying to understand in that section is, is that all allegory? Is it myth? Is it um, just suggestion? Or does God actually mean what he says when he's communicating through that author? Well, you get the answer to that in the rest of the historical books. Because when there are moments of obedience, what do we see? Moments of blessing. And when there are eras of disobedience, what do we see? Long stretches of curses. And so that just gives us an example of what we're talking about here. A right method. And that is, does anybody know what we call... Uh, the method of interpretation, our method of interpretation, a nice, big, long, theological, impressive word. It's called our hermeneutic, our hermeneutic, how we interpret the scripture. And what this passage and the rest of the scripture um, tell us is that God's word is meant to be taken literally, historically, and grammatically. You get at the truth using just Ordinary rules of grammar, taking into account the historical context in which that, that truth is given, and then you take it literally. Now, what we don't mean by literally is when you're talking about poetry, when you're talking about prophecy, um, when you're talking about imagery, we're not saying Jesus is that door. Like, Jesus has glass panes, he's got a little handle, those kind of things. We understand imagery, we understand allegory, we understand metaphor. But when you take it literally, what it is saying is, Jesus is your only access to God. That's a literal interpretation. And then, that's what is going to frame our understanding of the Scripture. Okay. Now, here's our purpose in doing that. Our purpose in taking that is, one, that's how Jesus interprets the Scripture. That's how the rest of the Scripture interprets itself. Two, we are seeking to find what the author's intent in what he wrote was so that we conform our lives to what was actually said rather than making up meaning that then we like better and we can live according to that. Okay, so what that approach does is it's consistent with the rest of the scripture. And instead of giving a meaning to a passage and then putting it up on our wall in our living room, we understand what the author's actual intent was by that passage, and then we conform ourselves to it. What we need to understand if we're going to have a confident um if we're going to be confident in our study of the Scripture, is that God has a specific purpose for what He reveals in this book He has given to us. And it's our job to understand what that is, not to make it say something we wish that it said. And this requires careful study, but... Listen, it's not something that you have to be intimidated by. Now, you can hear me up here saying literal, uh, historical, grammatical, hermeneutic, and you're like, whoa, okay, that's beyond me. That sounds like some seminary nerd stuff. Um, And all that is saying is read the scripture like you would read a letter from your friend. Okay, When you get a letter from your friend, 
You try to understand what your friend is actually saying. You don't get to say, wow, that phrase is interesting. Let me just see what that phrase means to me. And make some type of long, drawn out explanation of something he obviously did not mean. We do this naturally when we um, read a textbook, when we uh, try to gather information, and that's what we're talking about. You understand what the author is trying to say by what he wrote, and then you're going with that. So, we need the right tools and the right method. Now, we also need the right questions, the right questions. Now... I'm taking uh, one of our students in youth group uh, through First First Timothy, and I was just starting to disciple him. I'm like, all right, all what we're going to do is just walk through uh, First Timothy, and we'll just kind of do what I typically do when I'm preparing for a sermon. We'll just uh, read it multiple times. We'll just observe it. We'll try to interpret it and come up with some application of how we can apply it to life. And he's like. Um, I trust you. Thankfully, this he has a lot of respect for me, and that I'm very grateful for that. He's, I trust you, but that just it seems kind of simple. And um, we're going on our third uh, meeting, probably in the area of two and a half hours, and we haven't gotten past the first two verses. <laughs> so, what this can allow you to do is really dig into the scripture if you will give yourself to it. And, this, and the questions are very simple. What did he say? What did he mean by what he said? And how should I change? What did he say? What did he mean by what he said? And how should I change? That's just a, a simple process of allowing you to dig out some, some meaning of the scripture. So let's just walk through this real quick. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And this is by way, of, by way of example. And we can read this, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Alright, this is participation time, so go ahead and read that over to yourself. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And then I'll ask you the question, uh, what did he say? What did he say? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what did he say? Stated his relationship to Christ. Say it again. Stated his he stated his relationship to Christ. He said, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. Alright? What else? Telling us why he was running it. Telling us why? Yeah. And where do you see that? By command of God. He's been commanded by God to uh, be an apostle, right? The one sent. Okay? What else? 
He's writing to Timothy. Good. What else? Okay, Timothy is is a son. What else? Okay, longs for him to experience those things. Good. What else? Okay. Those find their source in God. What else? Okay, Jesus is referred to as the Christ, which is uh, the Greek word for Messiah, right? And you can go on and on and on and on, and then you come to the question, now what did he mean by what he said? Look what he says there, by God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. Now what does he mean by distinguishing those two things? God is the Savior and Christ is our hope. Okay, what does he mean by Paul? And what that will send you into is, all right, what was Paul's conversion story? What was Paul's life like before he was converted? What was Paul's life like after he was converted? What was Paul's journeys like? What were some of the missionary journeys that he went on? Where is Paul now? So what does he mean by Paul? What does he mean by apostle? What does he mean by Timothy? And you go into Timothy and you realize what Paul's relationship with Timothy is. Why does he call my true child in the faith as opposed to just a child in the faith? Was there something that was special about Timothy? And did he stick with Paul um, in, in ways that other people that came to faith under Paul's ministry didn't? Why grace, mercy, and peace? Why not other um, experiences of God? And so you go through all of these um, different questions and you can ask yourself all these different questions and then you get to the point of saying, okay, when he says true child in the faith, what kind of child in the faith am I? Where is my loyalty to the leadership in my church? Those who are given authority over my soul and long for me to live in line with Christ. How am I not... An apostle like Paul, but sent out by Jesus Christ to be faithful to the call on my life. And so what you see in these very simple questions is the opportunity for a depth of study that leads to a changed life. And you can take those truths that you're getting from all that information around you, bring it to a passage of Scripture, and dig deep into that Scripture, and then bring out the truth of that, and live in light of it, and be changed by that truth. Now, you can write these down. Here are some things that will help you. Some things that will help you do this. Because you're like, okay, you want me to be looking at the historical context of these passages. Uh, you want me to know some of the background of this. You want me to ask these questions and uh, you're telling me, where is Paul writing from? I don't know where Paul's writing. A study Bible. Simple tool that will be very helpful. Uh, I recommend the uh, MacArthur Study Bible, ESV Study Bible. The Transformation Study Bible is, is very good at bringing the gospel to bear in uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, a helpful study Bible is a simple way of getting at some of these historical things and then it has a great 
uh, list of helpful notes. Treasury of Scripture knowledge. Probably the, the, the most important tool that you would have in your Bible study, at least for me. Treasury of Scripture knowledge. Essentially what that is, is just you, it breaks down every passage of Scripture and shows you where those similar concepts are referenced in other parts of the Scripture. And so when you see Paul here, it'll reference the other references to Paul and what his um, testimony was like and what his life was like before and after um, these types of things. And the same thing with Timothy. And So treasury of scripture knowledge. Um, number three. Uh, the Bible Project overview videos. So go on YouTube. Uh, there's a, a YouTube channel called The Bible Project. I don't recommend all of their stuff, but their overview videos of uh, the Old and New Testament are really helpful for getting just the context of that overall book. And I wouldn't, you don't agree with anything, uh, with everything anybody says. So there's going to be things that you would disagree with, but what it is helpful at, it just breaking down, giving you a clear outline of how the book progresses and all these things. I'm teaching... Um, Old Testament survey at the school on our campus, and that essentially is what we're what we're doing. Um, I'll give them a little poster that they create from those videos, and we just walk through books of the Bible, and and we usually do two in an hour, um, and those are super super helpful. Just getting a an understanding of that. Say it again. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yep. So they create those, and then essentially the video is. Erasing the, the blank so that it reveals all of the artwork, right? And it's, it's so good. It's so good. Um, Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software. If you guys don't have that, it's an excellent tool. It's free to download. And then you can... Logos Bible Software. And then you can add books to that as well. Uh, and then finally, just by way of helping you dig deep into the Scripture... Just Google this. Don Whitney, 17 Ways to Meditate on Scripture. 17 Ways to Meditate on Scripture. Don Whitney, 17 Ways to Meditate on Scripture. And that would, just, that would even help you. I've used that often in my quiet time and just um, trying to read a text and then dig deep into a specific section of that. And he'll just give you ways to... Um, organize your thinking on that, that text. But uh, right tools, right method, and right questions. Number four, the right context. Just turn over uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10 there. And have a look there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 3, starting verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, 
knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In the same verse that we read a little while ago. What I mean by right context is two things. In community with the local church. In community with the local church. Here's where we get, here's where we get turned around oftentimes. We get fascinated either by a doctrine or by a teacher. And then we go off by ourselves and we um, fixate ourselves on this one thing and we do it all alone. We don't share what we're learning. We don't try to get um, correction. We don't try to uh, sharpen one another or get um, feedback from other people based on uh, what we're learning. Instead, we just go down this rabbit hole and go down it by ourselves until eventually we come to this conclusion that the scripture um, never intended for you to conclude, uh, a doctrine that you ought not believe or follow or be shaped by. And oftentimes it's because instead of um, running with the pack, running with the church, having good and godly men or women in your lives, and um, growing in the knowledge of the scripture together, You've been a lone wolf off doing your own thing. And one of our professors from TMS used to say, a lone wolf is a dead wolf. We're not intended by God to um, be lone wolves in the church. And so, um, there are a few ways you can do this. Get ready for the sermon on Sunday. Uh, Pastor Andy probably um, is... Studying sequentially through a book, Exodus, uh, right now, and you know what's coming. You may not know, maybe not, uh, the exact passage, but you know generally what's coming for this Sunday. If you want to um, study your Bible in the context of the local church, study ahead of time for the sermon. Prepare your heart. Um, develop an understanding of that text, and then see how the Lord has illuminated His study and how that complements what, what you're studying. Review the truth with other believers. So even if you are interested in a doctrine, study that doctrine, uh, figure it out, dig deep in it, but then take your study and hash it out with other brothers or other sisters uh, or your spouse and see if, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm coming to, does this make sense? Like, are there scriptures that come to your mind that I'm not thinking of? Um, are there things that would correct me? Or you think that this needs to be pressed further? Um, use that. Use the church as a means of sharpening your understanding. And then that discussing will, one, help you just be uh, accountable to the rest of the church. But two, it's used by God as iron sharpens iron. You're going to be encouraged. The other person is going to be encouraged. And so give yourself to that. So study in, in the context of the local church. Number two, in connection with the church throughout history. And here's what I mean by that. If you're coming up with some novel doctrine, it's probably wrong. Um, the church has been around for thousands and thousands of years. Um, the Spirit has not started illuminating the Scripture when you started studying it. Or I started studying it. He's been illuminating good and godly men throughout history. And it, we are wise to digest and take in what the Lord has shown those good and godly men. Now, here's where we need to be careful. and just want to make a caveat. Um, a lot of 
um, other church institutions are going to tell you the same. And they're going to put that tradition on par with the scripture. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is we want to understand that the, the Spirit has been illuminating godly men and His church throughout history. And we want to submit our understanding of the scripture to what He has been revealing throughout that time. And so study in the context of that. And a few good ways are one, commentaries. And I don't know how many Andy would read while he's studying, but I'm sure um, more than a few as he's studying for his sermon, just bouncing off, oh, okay, here's some questions they had that I didn't have. Here's some explanations they came to um, that I did, and that confirmed some of what I was studying. Or um, here's a question that they came up with that I I never even popped into my mind, and that um, enriches my study. Uh, confessions and catechisms. Catechisms are an excellent way of training up, especially our little guys, like the little, the, our girls. Um, who made you? God. What else did God make? Everything. Why did God make you and everything? For His glory. And just instilling those truths in their minds at a very young age that they grow up into that and they have a solid foundation of biblical truth. But when you're getting down the line there, it's also beginning to fill your mind and develop your theological understanding because these guys were scholars in the Scripture. Um, and so that's an excellent way to just uh, be, be studying the Word in connection with the church throughout history. So um, just trying to get our, our understanding of Bible study in, in some ways that maybe we don't often think about. Obviously, context is key. Right when you're when you're talking about the scripture, but we're talking about studying it in the context of the church and understanding we have a place throughout history in the church. So number five, the right mindset, and we're wrapping up here. The right mindset, and we get that here in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, where Paul says in verse fourteen, "But as for you." Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, listen, you know a lot of these things. Now keep on pressing deeper into those things. Here's what he's saying. We have to have the mindset as we come to the scripture that this is a lifetime of inexhaustible study to conform our lives to Christ. We never want to get to the point in our life where we're saying, oh, that's old news. I knew that. And let's just let's just move on with that. I don't have anything to learn in that area. We always want to be disciples of Christ who are coming to the word and being taught, transformed, corrected, motivated, and pushed forward in our maturity. I think you would, you would agree with me. The three things that I, found, I, I find so encouraging. Number one, when, when young people, when students and even, even kids um, have a passion to study the word and to be conformed to it rather than the world that just presses in on them. They're like, I know my friends are going this way. But I love Christ and I love the Word and I'm just building my life on this. 
It's so, it's so encouraging. And that's this mindset. Press deeper into this and, and go on that. Number two, when people who have lived life, people have lots of experience in life. They're older in, in years. And at the same time, they're teachable. They're continuing to study their Bibles and learn new truth. And that new truth is continuing to make them still wiser. That's this mindset. You never reach the end. You've never plumbed the depths of the Scripture. You're just digging deeper and deeper and it's changing you um, the longer that you live. And then three, people just in between. Um, people with uh, building their, their lives, their families, their careers, their relationships on the truth. This is the mindset that we need to come to the Scriptures with. We're building our lives on what we're learning in this book. So, we need the, the right tools, the right method, the right questions, the right context, the right mindset, and finally, the right purpose. Why would we do all of these things why why do we want to come and study the word why do we want to bring everything that we hear to to the scripture and determine whether it's true based on what god has revealed to us in his word because we're doing it with the right the right purpose um just listen to psalm 119 verse 7 i will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. When I learn your righteous rules. What he's saying is, Lord, when you, when you teach me the truth about you, what it's going to do in my heart is create a heart of praise and worship and glorifying your name. And that's the purpose of Bible study. The purpose of Bible study is not to fill our mind with truth so that we can win any argument when we come against people that disagree with us. The, the purpose of Bible study is, is twofold. The glory of God. We need to understand that the Bible isn't ultimately about us. It, it speaks about us, but the Bible is ultimately God's revelation about Himself. And so our purpose in studying it is that we know the God that we serve and worship Him as He has uh, demanded that we worship Him. As He has revealed, He wants to be worshipped. And number two, the good of other people. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that He's given teachers to the church so that they would equip other people to minister within the church. He's given teachers to the church. He's giving these gifts to the church to equip them for the work of ministry. And that's what we want to see our Bible study as. We want to be used by God to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to build them up in their faith. And number two, we want to communicate the gospel to people who need that hope. We want to understand what God's redemptive plan is. That those who are lost in sin and who are one day going to have to stand before the judgment of God need to understand there is hope in Christ of escaping that. And we want to study our Bible so that we can articulate that clearly. So that we talk with our friends and our family and our co-workers. We're giving them a message that can actually save. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because that gospel, that truth about Jesus Christ 
is the power of God unto salvation. And so we see our Bible study as um, a means to that end. We want to understand that truth and articulate that truth clearly so the people who hear it would get saved. And so, in a world that is inundated with, with information, um, and especially information that they would say is spiritual in nature, we want to be those Bereans who take all of that and bring it to the Scriptures and with this equipping, with this skill to go and um, mine out the depths of the truth of the Scripture, determine, is that actually true? Is that what the Word of God actually says? And if it is, we want to receive it eagerly and live in light of it. If it isn't, we want to say, that's wrong, and I'm not going that way. And if we have these six essentials, right tools, right method, right questions, right context, right mindset, and right purpose, uh, our prayer is that God will have equipped us to do that. Hear what's going on um, through our earbuds. Take that truth to the Scripture. Come to conclusions about whether it's true or not. And then make that conclusion and live in light of the truth, rejecting error. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would equip us to do this. That we would take um, this quick sort of jet tour through uh, in-depth Bible study and use that to assess all the information that that comes into our minds. And we pray that you would make us like those noble Bereans, that we would um, not just watch the news, not just read books, not just listen to podcasts and blindly believe what it is that we're being told, or even not not recognize the worldview that's coming through uh, those mediums. But that we would be observant Christians and Christians who are well equipped to handle our uh, Bibles accurately so that we can bring all, all that we are taking into Your Word and live lives that honor You by living in the truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.